Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Hallelujah. Joshua chapter 1. Let's go there quickly. Hallelujah. Now this is a great testimony to the plan of God being carried out by men, men that rose to the level of righteous leadership, directing an entire nation, the deliverer, of course, of Israel. We know that God used a man named Moses, uh, reviving and awakening the call of God on his life after a 40-year absence in the wilderness. And Moses came and brought him out. But he didn't bring them in. Joshua did. So Moses is credited with being the deliverer. And Joshua is credited with being the one that that brings them in. Now, both are types of Christ who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, but also hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Always remember this. Have more than one crossing in you. Let me say that again. Have more. You say, what do you mean? Well, great. Come Come out of the darkness. You know, get delivered from the drugs and all the whatever's the lifestyle that you were living that was sinful. Come out. But then be translated. Don't just come out and just say, well, here I am and I wish I could go back. Well, that's why a lot of people do go back because they don't live in the translated part of the gospel. That's the part in which God works the reality of who you are in Christ, what you can do and what you can have in Christ. And your life just changes and continues to change because the more you seek after Him, the more you learn about Him, the more you learn about yourself. And you learn about authority, you learn about power, and you don't let the devil kick you around anymore. You don't, let life, you don't let life kick you around anymore. Instead of constantly being on the defense, you go on the offense. Instead of always being bitter and offended, you're full of the joy of the Lord. Because you know God loves you and cares for you and has a great plan for your life. Now, I could imagine just because, you, you know, human nature's not changed. I could imagine that there was a, a level of uh, intimidation to Joshua, realizing once Moses was dead, and then all that went on after the death of Moses with the angels coming to, to basically take away, hide his body so they wouldn't turn him into a god. And uh, so he's tasked with the assignment of, all right, this big crowd that's been so disobedient for 40 years, now you get to bring them in. But all of the ones that were rebellious died in the wilderness. It's amazing what can die in the wilderness. And you know, here's the good news, you just need to let it die. Amen. Whatever's in the wilderness, let it die die out there and leave it out there. And then come on into the kingdom and enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. Now, God told them that he had a land for them that flowed with milk and honey. It was an inheritance. It was something that was promised to the patriarch Abraham. And God was carrying out his part of the word that he spoke and using his supernatural power to help them and bring them supernaturally into the promised land. Now, let me say this. We've said this before, and I, I'm pretty sure that it's a pretty established uh, a doctrine here at Island Church. But heaven is not our promised land. It's not our, nowhere in the Word of God is heaven referred to as any type of a promised land. The promised land is what God brings us into. So for the believer, 
The true promised land is the salvation, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, healing, prosperity, your righteousness, revelation of God, uh, drawing nigh unto Him, uh, your revelation of Jesus. That's the promised land that God is pulling us into. You say, well, I'm saved and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and I tithe and offer and I've got a good job or a good business. Well, God still wants you drawing closer and closer and closer to Him because in these last days, as we're going to study right now, you're going to need some courage. You can always tell the people who will just go along with the crowd, those are the people who don't have any courage. I like what, what Brother John Osteen taught us in Bible school. He said, any old dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim upstream. And if you notice, it takes a little effort to swim upstream. But I'd rather be a live fish swimming upstream than a dead fish floating downstream. Amen. But you know, these days are, are going to put a demand upon the character of the church and the character of the body of Christ, not, not, just to, not just to overcome, but to withstand and not to be intimidated and not to back down, not to quit. Not to quit. You know, I, I think that there are people in places and positions of power that think they can just shut down anything at any time in which they want to. You know, they've proven that wrong throughout history. There's been many nations tried to shut down the church. The former Soviet Union tried to shut them down. But it didn't work. Amen. You say, why? Well, communism's a religion. And every false religion has a shelf life of about 70 years. And you'll see even in areas where they went in, I didn't realize, realize this, uh, uh, Sian Marvin from the Philippines. So we've got several uh, families here from the Philippines. I did not, I did not realize, you know, that uh, 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 in the Philippine Islands, that they were, they were basically evangelized by Spain, by the Spanish. Now think about that for a minute. How someone would come all the way across the ocean to evangelize a nation. But when we went to Mindanao in 1989, the first time we went to Mindanao, I was down there with a wonderful pastor named Ben Gaetano. He had a grace church in Davao. Davao? Is that how you say it? And, and he was telling me that... that uh, uh, Mindanao, which is, a, if you look at a map of the Philippines, it's the southernmost island, that Mindanao was about 70, at that time in 1989, was about 70% Muslim. And so I, I, I was, that, that puzzled me. I said, I said, how did a Christian nation become, seven, how, did, how did Mindanao become 70% Muslim? He said, because Muammar Gaddafi from Libya sent evangelists to the area. And they evangelized the people and basically the way they did it was to take everything in their life such as their government and the leadership of the nation and the pastors of the churches and the mayors of the town and paint them as villains. So it raised up this radical Muslim group of people. And they're still down there, but here's the good news. They never really got entrenched because there's enough people down there praying and believing God that had courage. Because in, in Brother Ben's church, is a church of about 6,000, they had to turn it into an army base. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, they, they had been robbed so many times, the, the uh, Muslim guerrillas would come into their service and rob the people at gunpoint. So they partitioned the government, and the government put a... Put a a military, an army outpost at the church. 
and standing in the back wall at every service was a whole uh, 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 patrol of soldiers standing there guarding the church from then on. Amen. You say, well, what point are you trying to make? When all that happened, you had to have some courage. I mean, there's people with the devil, all he's got to do is say boo, and they turn around and run. But let me tell you something. The reason I'm going in this direction tonight is because there are some things the church has not possessed yet. Now, let me say that again. There are some things the church has not possessed yet in this generation. Some things we are destined as the church universal to possess, that we are, that we are uh, positioned as the church locally to possess, amen, and as the church eternally to possess. You say, what do you mean by that? Everything we're doing has an eternal benefit to it. Every soul that gets saved, every person that gets touched by the power of God, everything that we do in missions, everything that we do like that is literally heightening the ability of God to show himself strong on our behalf. And I want to tell you, God wants to do that. God desires in the midst of all of this craziness to get his church to come into some things that it's never come into before so that we can reap the harvest that God says belongs to us in these last days. And listen, the bottom line of that is so simple. All we got to do is live right and trust God. But living right becomes a challenge when things in your life are constantly challenged. And, and kind of, you know, the kind of the comfort that, that was life for many, many years gets, gets interrupted. And next thing you know, you have to make adjustments. Anybody had to make any adjustments? Not only in your thinking, but in, in your behavior. Amen. But that does not exempt God from wanting to bring us in to the fullness of what he desires to do. And just like Joshua in his day, God just literally kept saying to him, be strong and, and be courageous and be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Now, did you go to Joshua chapter 1? Let's read it just for a moment. King James. Verse 1, chapter 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, one translation says Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, thou and all this people. They've been waiting for that for 40 years. And all this people unto the land, now notice this, which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Now, you've got to get this. He gave it to them, but they had to go take it, which means without him they couldn't take it. Are you with me? Somebody should have gotten ran around the church. You say, what do you mean? He's already given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. But you got to be a partaker of the divine nature. How do you do that? you got to take it. The Bible says the, uh, the kingdom of God suffers violence, violence, but the violence do what? Violent take, they take it by force. There's some things you got to take by force. Amen. This is every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon now notice this, that have I, now notice the word, given. Everybody say given. given. Which is what? A past tense word. He didn't say, now every, every place you, when you step your foot on it, I'll give it to you. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He said, I've already given it to, so you're going to have to get into the foot ministry. And you're going to have to get your feet moving. Because if you walk in a, in a four by four square, that's it. That's all you're going to get. 
But if you walk through that land of milk and honey that I showed you, what is it, from the Euphrates to the, to the, to the Mediterranean, then all of that's your... Did you know all that land belongs to Israel? Because God gave it to them. Well, I don't believe it's right. They, they, they shouldn't be. You argue with God. Don't argue with me. Don't argue with the government. You argue with God. Because God said, I'm going to give it to them, and I'm going to drive out every nation that's there, and I'm going to kill them all, and I'm going to my, I'm gonna give it to my servants. Amen. And that's what he did. Oh, there's our boundaries right there. From the wilderness of Lebanon, even to the great river of the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean. Toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be a man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee. Now listen to this. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And God is saying the same thing to you as a child of God today. I will not fail you, and I will not forsake you, but you're going to have to trust me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into what? Your own understanding. When do we get in trouble? When we lean to our own understanding. What is our own understanding? Our reasoning ability, trying to figure out how God's going to do something, always gets you in trouble. Now, <laughs> they... I don't know if you've ever thought of this, kind of abstract. We always want to know, what's God, what is God going to do? What is God saying? What, what, what is He going to do? What's He fixing to do? What has He done? We know what He's going to do. We know what He's saying. It's all in the Word. Amen? But many times, we view much of what the Word says about us as something either unobtainable, well, Pastor, I, I believe that's in the Bible. But do you believe it's true about you? See, that's where faith, personal faith takes hold. You can't just, you just can't ride the coattails of a church or a ministry and think it'll bring you into anything. You've got to realize that when you're taught the Word of God, it's, it's taught, now listen to me carefully and absorb this. The Word of God is taught for an applicable purpose. You say, what do you mean by that? That means when you sit, you come on Wednesdays, you come on Sundays, you come to special meetings, you come to conference. When the Word of God goes forth from this pulpit, you need to be listening with an ear, not, not, a, not a question here. Well, I don't know if I believe that, and I, I don't want to believe that, and, and I might believe that. That sounds good. You can't do that. You cannot question. You cannot let your mind challenge the revelation of the Word of God. You, you must let the revelation of the Word of God challenge your mind. Not the other way around. Because your mind will try to talk you out of it. But if you begin to realize that God from creation has sat down. I, I, I love the testimony. I've told it several times. I heard his uh, mother-in-law give the testimony. The mother-in-law of Dr. Yungi Cho who built the largest church in the world. And there... You could imagine as the church grew, this, this is when the church grew to about 50,000 members. Could you imagine? 50, uh, a church as large as Galveston Island's population in Seoul, Korea. Now, you could imagine with that many people in your church, the cost of printing. Uh, uh, material for Bible schools, children's ministry. They had a school that went up to the, I believe they had one that actually went into junior college. Oh, just think of the mountain of printing. So they, 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 they 
They wanted to start a printing ministry in the church. They wanted to do his books. They wanted to do all the printing. And, and that would save them an enormous amount of money. But the only printer that could serve their, their purpose was in Switzerland, and it cost $48 million. So they made the arrangements, and so they were going to bless God, believe God by faith. And so he, he started a, 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 a printing, a, a, a publishing a fund for people to give into. He talked about it, tried to raise money, did all this kind of stuff. And he said, he said nothing happened. He said, you know, you would raise 50,000 people. You're going to raise a, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, but nothing what they needed. You know, I think it was $48 million for the printer and $17 million to ship it. Amen. Everybody say thank God for $5 million to build Island Church. Just chump change. Amen. Now, he said that he, she, she said that his mother-in-law, because she was the, the head intercessor of the church. She was the big prayer warrior. She said that she watched this get on Dr. Cho. You know what I mean by get on him. Just, just weighed him down. It got on him. And so in prayer, he went to the Lord. And the Lord took him to Genesis chapter 1. And he showed him the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. Then he said to him, what did I do on the sixth day? And he goes, oh, you created man. And he said, God spoke to him. He said, God spoke this. She said, God spoke this to his heart. You know why I didn't create you on the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day or Fifth day? Well, I waited till the sixth day. And, and he said to the Lord, no. He said, because I didn't need you on the first day. I didn't need you on the second day. I didn't need you on the third day or the fourth day or the fifth day. I only needed you on the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, I rested. So the Bible says that God's already rested from the foundation of the earth of everything that he had planned to do. Now, that should give you confidence that he knows what he's doing. Because there's always an attempt of the enemy to try to erode. Now listen to me carefully. To erode confidence in leadership and he pushes it to the top. Amen? He pushes it to the top. And when he pushes it to the top, his purpose, he really doesn't care about the governments and the, and the prime ministers and the presidents and the, and the kings. He cares about, the, he, he wants the church to be discredited. He wants the church, he wants the leadership of it uh, to literally be brought down. So because that's the foundational reality of how he operates through order, amen, authority, and the protocol in which he uses to establish the leadership in which he wants carry out the will of God on the earth. And the thing is, is we all have a part of that. And so his greatest, how can I say this? His greatest trap is a distractive trap. It's not so much a trap that's trying to drag you into crack cocaine. It's just a very subtle trap to get you not to hear when you should be hearing Pay attention when you should be paying attention. Learning when you should be learning. Growing when you should be growing. Because I'm telling you, nine-tenths of everything you go through in life, you're going to grow out of it if you keep growing in the things of God. Now, he's, he's, he's painting this picture for Joshua. He's, you know, you've got this, this assignment. I've already done it. It's already done in the spirit realm. Now you go in and possess it. Verse 6. Be strong. Everybody say, be strong. And of a good courage, 
For unto the people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only, now he says it again, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all of the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from the right hand nor to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of the mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do all that is written therein. Then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Now notice, have I not commanded thee, now here we go again, be strong, of a good courage, be not afraid, be not dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, wheresoever thou goest. Now there is a law that we do not understand in the English language here that's, that's, that's operating. It's, it's unique to the, to the Hebrew and to the Jewish, and that is the law of repetition that builds upon, the, it's like this, you say it one time, Okay, that's great. But you say it a second time, it doubles the authority, doubles the effect, and doubles what God's trying to emphasize. You say it three times, you've done it again. You've, you've taken what the first two doubled and became, and you double it again. So God is going like this. Be strong and be courageous. And Joshua's probably going, okay. He says, no, you don't understand. You're going to have to be strong, and you're going to have to be courageous. And he's like, okay, I'll be strong. He's going, you don't understand. You're going to have to be very, very strong. You're going to be very courageous. Be not afraid. So he knew, Joshua knew, by the way, his God was talking to him that he was going to face some challenges that could make him afraid. That he was going to have to be strong. And I'm telling you, there are some days ahead where you're going to have to be strong. And you have to be very courageous. And you're going you're to have to learn to resist fear when it comes, stand against it, and you're going to have to make a decision in your life because here's the problem. They are conditioning this whole world with fear. You say, why? Because fear is one thing as it settles and as it gets into the heart or to the soul of mankind. But the purpose of fear is to use the next step, which is panic, to control the masses. And they're setting us up for panic, church. I'm telling you, they're setting, they're, setting, they're setting the world up for panic. Well, what is it going to be, Pastor Russ? What is it, is it going to be COVID? Is it going to be a, a military? Co- yeah, just, just check every box. Just check every box. Just check every box. Because that's the day that we're living in. It's going to be medical. It's going to be financial. It's going to be international. It's going to be political. It's going to be social. It's going to be everything that's unique to the human experience that the enemy can use to manipulate, to try to steal, kill, destroy, and do everything he desires to do to try to hurt people. And here we are over here trying to help people. That's our mission is people, to help people. But we're going to have to do what? We're going to have to be strong. We're going to have to be courageous. And right in the middle of of him exhorting Joshua to be strong and courageous, he leaves the gem of verse 8. Don't let the word depart from your eyes. Excuse me, depart from your mouth. So so, So God's a confession guy. So next time somebody criticizes you about your confession, say, well, you, you, God's a confession guy. He's the one that told me not to let the word depart from my mouth. But do what? But meditate. Meditation is an exercise of your imagination. 
No amens on that one. Meditation is an exercise of your imagination in which you place yourself into something. That's why when you get into the Word of God, don't just sit there and read it like a book. I've all, one of the best illustrations I ever heard in my life was from a wonderful evangelist named Dr. Teal Osborne. And he said it like this. He said, he said, the Word of God is the paint palette of the Holy Ghost. He says, your spirit man is a canvas. And with your permission, the Holy Ghost will come into your life and paint the portrait of who you are in Christ and your spirit man. And what he paints on the outside through your life of faith and word of confession, you will bring to the outside for all to see the glory of God. I thought, whoa, that's a mouthful. But see, the enemy's trying to do the same thing. He's trying to tra- take the, the, the paints of this world system and what's he trying? He's trying to paint the, 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 the portrait of your destruction. Show you in the, show you in the uh, uh, bankruptcy court or with no money or losing your job or your business going under or some terrible disease getting into you. He loves to do that kind of stuff. And what he likes to do is he likes to project that upon you to the point that you just basically kind of put your hands up and kind of just, instead of waiting for God to do something greater, you're just kind of waiting for the next disaster. And many Christians' problem is, is they never got out of the lifestyle of living from one crisis to the next. But you must get out of the, the process of living from one crisis to the next by making the decision to draw nigh to God and not let the Word of God depart from your mouth, but to do what? To meditate on the Word. Take those wonderful... Listen, the Gospels, is the, they're the greatest Scripture for meditation. To learn to meditate. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, go hang out with Jesus. Have you ever done it? I live with him. In my hotel rooms I stay, in my house, my office, everywhere. When I study and meditate on the Word of God, I put myself on that street where the woman touched the hem of his garment. I sense the emotion. I sense her desperation. I see his compassion. Listen, if you don't do that, you're just reading a book. How many other books you ever read you meditated on? Amen. Now, come on, think about that for a minute. Now, you just read for, maybe a student would read for information. A regular person would read for entertainment. Not the Word of God. That's not a book. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. So we meditate therein day and night. Now, here's the key. That we, we may what? Observe to do all that. Listen, you want to be obedient to God. How can you be, be obedient to God without faith? You can be obedient to God without faith, and you can't have faith without revelation, and you can't have revelation without meditation. But you get meditation, and revelation comes. It builds the foundation for your faith. Faith comes into your heart, and you become what the Bible calls unmovable. And it's, it's not you that's unmovable. It's what's in you, literally fastening you to the foundation of God. And I'm telling you, the earth can be moved, the stars can be moved, the universe can be moved, the sun can be moved, but your God cannot be moved. Now this is, I know that a lot of people don't like this last part. 
that you may observe to do all that is written therein, then thou, I'll just read the King James, thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Now wait a minute. I thought the Lord was going to make my way prosperous. Well, He's already done it. That is the hardest concept for many people to grasp. Now let, let me help you. I'm going to tell you why. You say, Pastor, I, I, I've tried to figure out for years how God could have already set everything in motion, knows everything that's going to happen, what He's going to do. You've made your intellect too big. Some of you need to put your intellect on a diet and starve it down. Because out of your... In, I'm not, listen, I'm not against education. I'm not against being smart. I'm, but if your intellect is controlling you and controlling the way you think, listen, you need to break the power of your intellect because your intellect is only going to lead you along the lines or the ways of what you know. You say, well, pastor, I've got a, I've got a degree. I, I've got this. I've got that. And, 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 well, okay, so you have to make a choice whether you're going to go the path of your education the path, of your, the path of your talent. Amen. And there's other factors that people, well, you know, uh, I'm born into a family that has a business, and I, so I'm going to be in that business. My Listen, when you serve God, all bets are off. You belong to Him. The Bible says you're bought with a price. He's already set these things in motion. And if you use your intellect to try to figure out God, you're going to get frustrated. That's why God says, I've given you something so simple. You don't have to figure me out. You don't have to figure out how I'm going to do something. You've got, you don't have to figure out my omnipresence. You don't have to figure out my omnipotence. You don't have to figure out my power. You don't have to figure out love or life. You don't have to figure out any of it. All you need is faith. Because God does not require we figure it out. He just requires we believe it. But we've, we've got such supercharged intellects and minds that we've not figured out yet, no matter how smart you are, the most simplest thing in the kingdom of God, the Bible says, is wiser than all the knowledge of man. What a day we're living in. Amen. So that what? You make your way prosperous. Everybody say prosperous. And you have good success. Now quickly. Oh. Everybody give me two minutes. Everybody hold up two fingers. Two, four, six, eight. That's an old preacher trick right there. Second Peter, real quick, we'll close with this. And then we can pick this up next week. Everybody say, it's my responsibility to make my way prosperous, but God's given me everything I need to do it in His Word and by His Spirit. Now, Second Peter, ugh. All right. Uh, chapter 3, 2 Peter, we'll, do it, we'll, do it, we'll take a shortcut and come back and take the long road next week. So, verse 3 of chapter 3, 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing that this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, everybody say scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Did you know that's not true? Now listen to it again. Listen. See, you got to... People say, well, everything in the Bible is true. No, it's not. People tell lies in the Bible. Did you know that? Well, that's one right there. All things continue. 
as they were from the devil. No, they didn't. They've changed over every generation change, every century changes, every millennial changes. Man has progressed downward since the fall. Even though God has blessed him with technology and knowledge, he's taken all the technology and knowledge that God has blessed him with and he's corrupted it. Amen? So why, why, why take the technology that you can use to bless humanity and make a weapon out of it? Why do that? Because we have to protect what we See, the whole mindset's messed up. The whole mindset's messed up. So, knowing this, that there shall come in the last days, anybody think we're in the last days? Scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue. Now notice the phrase, as they were from the beginning of creation. Is that a true statement? No. Jesus had come. Jesus had died on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. And the entire paradigm of the spirit realm had changed. But people were saying, saying, things are still the same. It's the same old, same old. It's the same old, same old. It is not the same old, same old. You're born again. You're empowered by God. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. you got the Word of God in your heart. You're doing everything. You're coming to church on Wednesday night. You're coming to prayer. You're reading your Bible. You're praying. You're seeking. You're drawing nigh to Him. That causes change. Now notice this. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that, was, that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's speaking of the flood. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Let me tell you folks, there are some perilous times coming. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now everybody kind of concentrates on that and says, oh, 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 and they try to figure out the math. Go to the next scripture. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. And I know all the eschatology people, they go, they go over here and say, well, you know, he's talking about the last days. Listen, this is a carte blanche statement. The Lord is not slack concerning his word. As some, as some count slackness. But his long suffering to usward. Now notice this. this. This is the truth of God. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass in the night, pass away with a great noise. That's speaking of the end of the millennium. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation? That, that word conversation is the word lifestyle. And God, you know what he's saying? He's saying now as all these often... Awesome events take place. The rapture of the church, because people say, when's he coming back? When's he coming? The second coming of Christ, it'll never happen. The scoffers, that's who the scoffers are. Amen? It says, but God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But you guys, now notice what it says again. God is long-suffering to, who's he saying? 
us word. He's speaking to the church. What's God waiting on? Waiting on the church. Waiting on the church to do what? <laughs> to make its way prosperous. To obey what the word says and see the good success that God says belongs to us. Amen? So now he's, he's bringing it down to the, to, to the day we're living at. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in, ho in a holy lifestyle in God? Church, live for God. Don't play with sin. Listen, we're living in such a time that, that the wage of sin is death almost immediately these days. Live for God. Live for God. Live for God. You know what that means. You don't need rules, regulations, or lists. And looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, now here you go, be diligent that you may be found of him, now listen, <laughs> in shalom. That's the word shalom. That you might be found in peace. Now what's the number one thing the devil trying to steal from the body of Christ? It's peace. Healing, peace, amen. So God wants you what? At peace, because that's the garrison. That's the guard of your mind that's going to guard your mind and keep your mind from going nuts and all this crazy stuff. Here, I'll, I'll finish with this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> An account that the long-suffering, now listen to this, the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you also in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to be understood. That's because they have to be received by faith. Which they that are unlearned and unable rest or wrestle with as they do the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Don't wrestle with the word, accept it. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led astray with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But, here we go, I'll close with this. Grow in grace, grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, now and forever. Amen. So everybody say, grow in grace. Now, we want to grow in the Word, we want to grow in, in faith, but we also want to grow in grace. Now, we, we think of the grace of God, which is God's ability released on our behalf before we were born again. The grace kept the devil from just killing us and dragging us into hell. But now that you're a believer and you have faith, grace accesses the power and the ability of God. And God says, go to the mountain. Cry grace to the mountain. The ability of God. But then God wants the grace working for you to work in you. And we are going to have to become people, now listen to me, of extreme grace. Now you say, now how, how, if God's giving us grace and we receive grace, how do we become people? What does that mean? That means the very attributes and nature of God is reflected through everything we say and do. Well, <laughs> that's why I shouldn't have done this. That's why you can't be 
who you used to be. Because God saved you not to be that any that anymore, because in that condition you give no grace to no one. You blame everybody. You're a victim, you're this, you're that. Some Christians are that way. And they've been through this and been through that and had this go on and had that go on. And then when it comes time for you to love your brother or love your sister or minister benevolence unto them or to forgive them or to be released from an offense, you hang on because you have no grace. And the reason you have no grace is you've received no grace. And the reason you've received no grace is you've been disobedient to the Scripture. But God, listen, He lets you have many times momentary adjustments which have eternal consequence. You say, what do you mean? I'll never forget years ago, hearing Brother Kenneth E. Hagin talk about something he did that wasn't right. And it wasn't no, you know, some heinous thing. It was just something that he did that was a breach of wasn't right. And he said this, he said, I found out this one truth, that if every area of your life in which you have an issue or a problem that goes contrary to the Word of God, if you will be quick to repent and ask for forgiveness, God will be quick to restore you. But it's in that downtime in between the time in which you first of all want to plead your case and use your excuses. You ever try that with God? He's not real big on it. He really doesn't. Excuses, well, you know, God, I, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. I've tried it and it doesn't work, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you as pastor, don't try it, don't work. When you have a breach in your character, when you sin, when you backslide, when you get out of fellowship, when you have something go on in your life, listen, if you have to a hundred times a day get down on your knees and say, forgive me, Lord, I appropriate the blood of Jesus, I swear I'll never do this again. You do it ten minutes later. You're going to have to make a decision do the same thing over because it's when you quit that it overtakes you. Pastor, how long do I have to keep fighting this thing? Tell you when. No matter what it is you're trying to bring under, your answer is to draw nigh unto God, to realize God has given you a specific protocol to follow. Just live in the Word. Meditate therein day and night. You'll observe to do what is written therein. You'll be able to obey when God says tithe. You'll be able to obey if He calls you to the mission field. You'll be able to obey if He calls you to do something else. You'll be able to do it because your faith will be there. And when I say to do it, you'll have the faith to do it and it'll be easy for you to do. And as you do that and obey me, then you'll begin to find more and more about yourself that is wrong as you find out more about me that's right. And against the backdrop of where I'm right and you're wrong, I give you grace so that you can give out that grace to others where they're wrong towards you. You know what that does? That knits the body together in love. And there's something that God desires for every church, and that is unity. And unity comes from grace and love working together. Amen? That help you tonight? Lift up your hands. Father, we thank you tonight for every person in here. The adjustments that we're making in our lives, even in our church, in our character, in our spirit man,
as we grow and draw nigh unto you in these perilous times in which we live. We thank you that there's a grace on us for the last days. Jesus, you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. That you'd be with us always, even until the end of the age. Well, here we are. Here we are. You were there for your son on the earth. You were there for his disciples as they transitioned into the office of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You were there for the, for the early church, the great moves of God upon the earth in the past 2,000 years. And Father, we're completely confident that you will not abandon us now. That you didn't bring us this far to forsake us, but you brought us this far to reveal in us the true glory of a righteous Savior, of a blood-soaked mercy seat, of an empty tomb and a rugged cross. We thank you that that is the salvation for the world. And in our lives, Lord, we open ourselves up to you in every area to be the God you said you would be, to mold us, to make us, to be the potter as we are the clay. Thank you, Father, that you're creating vessels unto honor as you continue to work on our lives. Fathers, we leave tonight. Thank you for your wonderful provision of protection and safety. We declare no evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. And all of our travels, the highways, airways, seaways, railways, any other way of travel or transportation, we declare your protection and safety. As we handle the righteous labor you've given us, so many, so many different careers, so many different businesses, but Father, we thank you that your grace is upon every one of them, working with us, working in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Thank you for the fire of evangelism in our heart. Thank you as we go forth meditating upon your word, observing to do all that is written therein. We make our way prosperous. We have good success. Thank you that people are praying. People are crying out. Just as in Israel's day, when they were in bondage in Egypt, they cried out to God. And God sent a deliverer. And I thank you that the deliverer is on the earth. The church. Jesus Christ on the earth in the form of his children and his governments. We thank you for it, Father. Lord, as we leave tonight, we walk in faith and love towards you. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, that here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, running by the Holy Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah.